Hello and welcome to Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach. Now, each episode, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you find a deeper understanding of yourself, to set yourself up for dating, relationship, self-love and self-empowerment success. So enjoy, take notes and get ready to apply all key messages you learn today. Hello and welcome to Real Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by yours truly, Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach, where we have open, non-judgmental, heart-to-heart conversations about love, self-love, self-care, dating and relationships and to start off season three I am being joined by the wonderful Kevin Hick welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me I appreciate it thank you thank you and for those of you who don't know who Kev Hick is he is an experienced dating coach and YouTube blogger with over 362,000 followers and over 40 plus million views He has personally coached thousands of women through their dating and relationship struggles and life issues. He even helps couples get back on track. He's caring and compassionate, approaching every issue with the honesty and tact necessary to help his clients. Kev, it's such an honour and privilege to have you here. Thank Thank you. you. All the way from the US, I have been following your work for so many years and I just find what you do so inspiring and encouraging to empower women to receive healthy love. So for those of you who don't know who Kev is, I'm just going to explain a little bit more about you and what you do. Oh, actually, Kev, could you actually share a bit more about any highlights of your life and your career that led you to becoming a dating coach? Okay. Um, you know, it's funny we would expect the highlights to come later, right? Uh, you know, in adulthood, but mine actually came in childhood. Uh, when, you know, my mom struggled with alcoholism when I was a child, um, up until I was an adult, actually. She's she's done well the last few years and, and mm-hmm. through spans of her life. But uh, her alcoholism led her to AA meetings, NA meetings, uh, you know, adult drug mm-hmm. counseling, things to help her try to get sober. And, you know, I do everything with my mom, so... I was that I was that five year old in the basement of a church on a Tuesday night with a coffee in my hand, listening to the life story of a drug addict, uh, you know, and that's kind of how I spent my evenings in elementary school and, and throughout my adolescence. And so, it built in me an empathy for people and uh, a study of people. The uh, the love of studying behavior came from me watching people talk about their struggles and, and give their bios and their lives, their highs and their lows and their addiction stories, right? Their rock bottom stories. I got very used to hearing people talk about what brought them to rock bottom. And even as a child, I was about eight years old and I was thinking, you know what? All of these issues, all of these addictions started with very nasty relationships, bad mommies and bad daddies, as I was calling them when I was eight, uh, or bad boyfriends and girlfriends turned into bad lives, bad decisions, bad relationships. Wait, relationships are a problem. Maybe if somebody had talked to them about relationships, we wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't have to listen to this drug story or alcohol story. So the tragedy of, of, of addiction brought me to a place where I thought, well, maybe if we better manage relationships, we could prevent some of the drastic uh, decision-making uh, and, and the horrible damaging des- decisions that people are having 
And so, you know, that's as a child. That was my observation as a kid before I had a mustache and coming into adulthood, getting to know people, seeing the same cycles over and over again. Uh, it was just confirmed in my adult experience that, yes, women need help, uh, men, men as well, but women especially need help as the gatekeepers with relationship choice. And if somebody can help them, they would also be helping me as a child, that next kid that's like me, you know, watching a mother struggle because, you know, she didn't necessarily get the information that she needed to make decisions that were better for her and ultimately for her offspring. So um, it's not to blame women uh, for the condition of anyone going through that, but they do have power uh, and more power to change it than men do uh, for themselves and for their children. And so it was about helping the next generation through protecting myself and through teaching the mother of someone who's more like me than, than they would like to be. Wow, what a story there. And actually, I can relate because my father, he was also alcohol dependent, drug dependent too. And a lot of what I witnessed growing up was a dysfunction behind my parents' relationship and some of the abuse that my mother experienced at the hands of mm -hmm. my father as well. So that led me, that's one of my reasons for becoming a relationship coach myself because of what I witnessed as a child. So I can completely relate there. What I'm hearing there as well is maybe a little bit of self-love, self-care piece on your mother's side. Would you say that the self-love is actually quite fundamental to having healthy love and receiving that from another person? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it's very fundamental, uh, but it, it can't be, it's not going to appear out of nowhere, right? We have to put ourselves in, in circumstances and in positions to experience self-love and and and. To be quite honest, it doesn't happen if we've never witnessed it or been catered to or nurtured by someone who has that to give, right? Who has that? I mean, there, there are roses that grow from concrete every day, and I pride mm -hmm. myself being one of them. But to be quite honest, most of us, as much as we like to say hard work and, and all of these different ideas contribute to the life experience that we have, exposure and awareness are, are as big as contributors, right? When you talk about the, the, the argument of nature versus nurture, what you became naturally, what you would have become versus what was nurtured, what, what was taught into you. Self-love is one of those things that, uh, to be quite honest, nature doesn't always uh, provide an opportunity for us to get. It has to also be nurtured into us. And so, yeah, I think there's an opportunity for people to be uh, great and, and powerful by themselves, but also... Uh, we have to acknowledge that uh, the relationships around us and the influences around us uh, contribute very much to a person's ability to not only attain self-love, but even have an awareness of it, uh, yeah. especially crucial times of life where we're making decisions that affect the rest of our lives. I completely get what you're saying there. And for me, self-love is an element of boundaries and having healthy boundaries too. Mm. Would you say, what are some of the key boundaries that you would witness from the people that you work with that aren't being put in place necessarily when it comes to having a relationship? I think, um, and I did a video about this the other day. Yeah. Uh, first, the first and most, uh, most important boundary is the boundary that you have with yourself. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, it's been said that women are, are women's principles, right? And this is a, a obviously a generalization. So it, it's not all the way. It's not absolute. But there's merit to it, just like there are merits to what men, men are accused of being in totality, right? Mm -hmm. It's been said that a woman's emotions are her principles, right? That women are more loyal to their emotions than they are whatever belief they believe they have. Mm -hmm. And I think that in, in my coaching, um, in my coaching experience, it's, it's more true than I would hope it to be, right? 
uh, this idea that circumstance and situations determine what a person stands for, believes in, accepts, or puts out in their own behavior, right, is, is appropriate. So the boundary of getting control of self, meaning, you know, standing on your principles and letting your principles, your morals, your beliefs, the integrity that you hope to hold, make the decisions for you and get a, getting away from this idea that if I feel a certain way about a person in a relationship, then I need to therefore put down this boundary that I have, put down this standard that I have, yeah. this principle that I have. If your principles are negotiable based on how you feel about a person, a human being, a woman, a woman, a, woman, a man, uh, whomever you might fall in love with, if your principles are negotiable, negotiable if they're circumstantial, uh, you ultimately come to a person like me or a person like you, yeah. because obviously circumstance isn't a great indicator of a future performance, right? And especially emotional circumstance. And so the first boundary I, I have my clients put in place is just the boundary around their morals, their values, their principles, their uh, uh, understanding of what is appropriate. Mm. Once that is in place that they don't go outside of that, no matter how they feel about a guy or how many butterflies they get about a guy or how much they like a guy or how much they want him to like them, right? Mm. We get somewhere and we can grab onto this uh, this idea of relationship health. <laughs> now um, we can grab onto this idea of relationship health in, in a much more uh, permanent way because the relationship health depends on us being very loyal to what we believe and never putting that down for the human being that we, we see across the table from us at a dinner table or, yeah. or in a movie theater. It's not negotiable. The health that I want in my relationship, how I want to be treated, how I want to be spoken to, how I want to be considered, how I want to be received, how I want my love to be received, what is required of me. Those things should be in place already. Right. Yeah. That I already have to I have to put a boundary around those things regardless mm -hmm. protect those things like my life, because if I don't protect those things within me, then it doesn't matter how great a person is or how terrible a person is. I'm, I'm completely at their mercy. So the result of my life becomes someone else's decision. I always say that if it's someone else's fault, then someone else had too much power. Right. If, yeah, if yeah. what happened to you is is completely someone else's fault, then that means you you've been moving in a powerless, disempowered uh, position for for too long, yeah. and it should be someone else's decision. No man, mm -hmm. one man should have all that power over where you go, what you do emotionally, right, and yeah. spiritually, mentally. Your trajectory of development should not depend on any of these relationships. But if you don't have those boundaries in place, if your morals and values and principles are negotiable based on how much you like a person yeah. or how much you know, like you, you're going to have relationship health issues because mm -hmm. even a person can't be what you need to, what you need to be if you are dependent on them and their, and their approval. Yes, I hear everything that you're saying there. Also what you said about being loyal to your beliefs. And I think that's really important. And a lot of our beliefs are actually based upon our experiences. And some mm -hmm. of those, whether that's actually personal experience or what you witness or observe on things like social media, for example. So would you say that there are some, some pros and cons of modern dating right now that are impacting on people's beliefs about what they can actually receive or what they are deserving of? Absolutely. I think, uh, and, and I don't even know if it's everybody's, this idea of culture, Mm -hmm. is a problem for me because yes culture is a thing culture exists and culture is a looming cloud over the world right whichever world you're living in the problem is this we are living an individual human experience yeah we're not living culture right mm -hmm. so i hate i hate 
the dating atmosphere, dating advice culture right now. I'm mm -hmm. not a fan of it. I don't watch a lot of dating advice content. I try yeah. to stay away from it because culture gives you this impression that these things are out of your control. Yeah. Like you don't control your individual experience, your individual choices, right? I tell my clients all the time, you are not, you're not what you say, you're what you do. Mm. Right? Your, your principles aren't what you say you want from a man, it's what you accept from a man, right? Yeah. Don't tell me about dating culture. Well, men these days are this, men these days are that. No, those individuals and many with microphones and podcast equipment maybe are saying this or that or what a woman deserves. You're a teen, you deserve yep. this. <laughs> Yes, that's dating culture. Yeah. But if you take that dating culture into an individual's experience, you'll realize very quickly that what people say on podcasts and the experiences that they're living are very different. And so I don't like the idea of dating culture. I think that we have to remember that we control our destinies. We are the masters of our fate. And so with that, with my morals, my values, my principles, the things I stand on, I, I'm going to die on those hills. And I'm going to make sure that I get those things out of, out of life and relationships. And it's not about deserving. This idea of deserving disturbs me as well because it's based in ego. Yeah. What one deserves is, is what one's offered mm -hmm. and what one's offered themselves. And so I think it's very important to recognize where, where culture is and where culture is going because culture is always relevant, but yeah. culture doesn't dictate your individual experience. And if you make decisions based on culture, then your individual experiences will be a lot more unhealthy than they need to be. So yeah. always think, well, if there's an exception, let me be the exception. I'm going to get my respect. If there's an exception, let me be the exception. I'm going to have healthy love. I'm going to be talked mm -hmm. to a certain way. I'm going to be considered a certain way. I'm not going to ask kiss anybody. I'm going to make sure I respect me in everything that I let you do. Yeah. I don't care what culture it is. Mm. That's really valid what you say there. And a lot about the principles that you're talking about is probably based on personal experience or what people have experienced or what they have witnessed on social media or, or the culture, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Everybody out there tends to be a dating and relationship expert when you scroll through social media and they are talking through their lived experience or what they've seen. But what I see and what I witness is a lot of keeping people in one place, not necessarily moving them to that individualized experience, what you are speaking about there. So how can somebody tap if you have been so used to being part of this group thinking, how mm -hmm. can you tap into that? individualized experience what does that mean for somebody i think i think it first of all for many of them and it, this doesn't help me as a dating coach but it means to turn off youtube for a minute sometimes turn <laughs> off for a minute get off of tiktok every once in a while take some space to have your own thoughts you know it's very easy to indoctrinate a person with an idea or a thought and that's why i take what i do very seriously uh, because i know how much power you have as a trustee Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a um, there's this idea that, well, I'm be I believe what I want and therefore I watch these things. And then, you know, uh, I, I know who I am and I watch this stuff. And, and because of it, when sometimes you think those things, and you believe those things because of what you watch. I, I give you the perfect example of a, a political party that I'm not necessarily interested in. Um, got my attention for about six months, many years ago, because it was the only entertainment on uh, talk radio when I was going to work and coming back home from work. And I said, well, let me listen to the other side. After about six months, I was, I was thinking, yeah, you know, I was, I was not my head. <laughs> These were not my thoughts. This was the programming. And mm -hmm. I realized at the moment that you can program anything into a person. You know, we are what we eat and we understand that to be, you know, uh, oral. It was not. 
you are what you take in. You are what you listen to. You are what you observe. You are what you like entertain. You are literally everything you encounter. Uh, so to your question, I feel like it's important to draw that, draw that awareness that I can be programmed. I'm not above being programmed. So let me sit with my thoughts. Let me look at my experience and see what, what is validated in my experience and what I want. Because what I've experienced and what I want are probably two different things if I'm watching relationship content. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if I'm watching relationship content for relationship help, the experience hasn't been a, a good one, a great one, a, an amazing yeah. one. Not that successful. Not that it was a total failure, but I need help. Clearly, I'm watching this stuff. So mm -hmm. I want, where do I want to go? And what decisions get me there? And who's telling me and teaching me how to make new decisions and get out of old patterns to make my individual experience a different one than I've experienced? It's not necessarily about your experience being super exclusive. It's about you understanding your control over your experience and changing your experience at will at any given time. Because your programming brought you to that place, new programming can bring you to another place. Yeah, I hear that. And some of the programming as well, like what we spoke about, when you spoke about at the start of this show, was that what you witnessed growing up with your relationship with your mum, and perhaps mm -hmm. maybe some of the, I'm not sure whether you subscribe to attachment styles as well, what your thoughts are on that. Agree. I, I do, I do, uh, I recently uh, upset a lot of people because uh, I do it, I do subscribe to attachment styles, but as an experienced relationship coach, after having these thousands of conversations, mm. realizing is that people generally take, and, I, and not to discredit attachment styles, attachment styles are real, preface, mm -hmm. attachment styles are real, but what people do and how people use attachment styles isn't the intended methodology of the people uh, in the psychology community who study this stuff. Mm -hmm. So you'd assume a person takes that, learns to break their uh, attachment style programming and, and does the right thing. What I encounter more often than not, nine times out of 10, is somebody learns about attachment styles through Google or a really great psychologist stops, uh, discontinues therapy, goes through Google, goes down mindfulness YouTube, and then tells me about attachment styles and explains that's why they take it from people. That's why they allow people to trample on them. And that's why they can't help it. That's why they don't have any control because they have this attachment style. I'm anxious. I don't know what to do. So I always do this. I can't stop. I can't change it. I'm anxious. I can't change it. I'm fearful. I can't change it. I'm this. So they disempower themselves uh -huh. with that because they abuse themselves with it and they use it as a crutch, you know, no holy roly here, but you know, th these, these things are, are, you know, in the Bible says, let not grace be an occasion to sin or, uh, you know, tempt not the devil, or tempt not God. When we start looking at this stuff, people use grace or people use their attachment style as an occasion to do what's worse for them, what's bad for them. And then they say, oh, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm that attachment style. I can't help it. Okay. That's how the novice use that. And so I don't like it, but I love, I love attachment styles. I just don't like how people use it. It's the application of it, I completely. Yes. Yeah, the application of it, because whilst it can be useful to have a label or to identify what it is, it's what you do. I say mm -hmm. that, you know, knowledge is power, but what you do with that right. knowledge is even more powerful. Right. So, it doesn't come until it's applied and people misapply attachment style mm -hmm. knowledge. Absolutely. And it's about getting into that. And I think sometimes people can actually confuse how they are feeling about somebody, even that might be through an attachment style. But mm -hmm. I also remember you talking about there being 12 different types of chemistry, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. And that can be quite 
overwhelming for some people and you think so what kind of chemistry am I feeling so I want to get aligned with my principles Mm -hmm. so that's how to get super clear on that and also Mm -hmm. chemistry there's so many different types of chemistry as well (laughs) would you say that there's anyone any chemistry that's I guess higher up the ranks than any other type of chemistry uh, no, I don't think there should be. I think um, in, a, in a good life, there's balance somewhere, right? And I like to apply balance everywhere if I can. Uh, so what we see, if we're looking at culture and we're looking at just human patterns, human patterns are uh, sexual chemistry uh, and attraction chemistry, right? We see a person, we like them, we think they're attractive. And so just liking to look at that person, that's one type of chemistry, right? Just, yeah. just having feeling toward each other because that's important. And it's, it's, it's rare, actually. Pe- two people don't look at each other the same way most of the time. So, and then having sexual chemistry, the, the act of having that fluidity and that enjoyment that, that, is, uh, that, that goes to both of you. So those are the two attraction uh, uh, chemistries that people focus on. Yeah. So if you ask me which are the top, those are the top based on interest and awareness, not because that's the most important. Right. Okay. That's just based on interest and awareness. The rest of the chemistries are actually what uphold the relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when you talk about conflict chemistry, being able to still love each other in the moment that you're not getting along. Right. <laughs> important. Like there's the chemistry. This 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 is uh, like a, I can't remember uh, the verbiage because if, if you Google chemistry, 12 types of chemistry, the the leading term might be different. But like me and my wife have this really good chemistry chemistry where we take on projects together, right? We are the greatest at taking on projects. So that keeps us close, going through things, dealing with life's issues like trouble. That's the type of chemistry, your your willingness and and, and ability to stick together in, in turmoil instead of separate and go off in different directions. There's so many chemistries that require a healthy relationship and usher in a healthy relationship. Yeah. Now, when you start looking at attraction chemistry and sexual chemistry, you realize it's just people hopping in bed with each other and it doesn't actually sustain a relationship, which is why the divorce rates are so high because those are the two chemistries that everybody focuses yeah. on and no awareness on what actually holds a relationship. And it's those other 10 chemistries. Yeah. And what you was sharing there about the time that you share with your wife. Now, mm-hmm. would you say that in order to kind of build upon these chemistries it's important to have like a relationship audit for example a state of the union discussion where you say what's working what's not working do you practice that with your wife at all or would you say that to your clients yeah yeah I I do I think it's important to do it but it's also important to follow through Mm. too I get this I get this all the time the most intelligent people know how to bs themselves beyond like the more, more gifted a person is the more they can bs themselves mm-hmm. and their relationship yeah because we yeah. can have the intelligent conversation and if people think they had a great conversation wow we had the best talk i have this I hear this all the time my clients oh my god we're okay now why are you okay we had the best talk i'm sorry uh, are, are we what we say or what we do mm-hmm. right so yes come together have the state of a union the united front against the issue and get yeah. away from turning that knife against each other but turn it toward the issue the problem in your relationship great conversation have that moment that united front against the problem but follow through mm-hmm. you are what you say in that great conversation you're what you do after that conversation you didn't hear your partner if you nodded your head and agreed that you have a problem you heard your partner when you change your change that behavior you heard your partner when you start being more considerate like they asked you to mm-hmm. you heard your partner when you start helping out more in the relationship 
you hurt your partner when you change your spending habits that are causing uh, issues that, and they're causing a, a sense of, uh, you know, uh, you know, not being safe financially in one of the partners. Whatever the thing you do, if you talk down to your partner, you heard them. Right. It was a great conversation. If you change the way you spoke, spoke, speak to your partner in conflict, that's when it matters. But yes, you have to have that conversation. But the conversation isn't the isn't the end all. The conversation is the start of the change behavior. Uh, and again, no holy roller here, but the Bible says, you know, repent and be saved. And, and no matter what religion around the world that you, you get into, there's some idea of repentance, changing the way of the of the mistake that you make, changing the way of the sin you create or, or commit. This thing is repentance is changing. It requires change. Just like whatever God you serve requires you to change for the better. Yeah. We as human beings need repentance to actually grow in our relationship. You cannot repent against the behavior and continue to do it. So there's no reason to have a conversation about it. If you're unrepentant and you're still going to abuse your partner in this way, you're going to talk to them this way, you're going to mm-hmm. do these different things. You, we need repentance to move forward and have healthy relationships. So again, it's not about the conversation. It's about the repentance from those behaviors. And that's not re- the word repentance isn't necessarily religious. It just yeah. means to turn away from the sin or the act or the offense. And that's what we need. We need to turn away and, and make our actions that conversation instead of just having nice words exchanged. Mm. The intention versus the execution (laughs) of it, the execution is key. And when anybody's going through a change process, it's the motivation, it's the why behind it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really good conversation to have. So if you are listening and you're hearing your partner, okay, I would like you to do this differently, then what's the why behind it? And how would it make that person feel? (laughs) Because again, I think sometimes we can struggle to communicate how we would like something to be and how it would make us feel because nobody can argue with your feelings because your feelings are your feelings. Sometimes we can avoid a change. Not sure if you agree here because there's a secondary gain that Mm -hmm. keeps us, keeps us wanting to do the same thing over and over again. And Mm -hmm. we can't even figure out what that is. And yeah. So I don't want to lose my train of thought because this is a little bit complex. So there are two realities in each person, right? Mm. It's the ego's reality and presentation. And then there's the, the intended result, mm. right? The desired result. Um, you speak to people holding on to something, maybe subconscious, yeah. maybe quietly and consciously, not changing the bad behavior because there's this, there's this win in maintaining this negativity in the relationship. And generally that's the ego. That's the pride. I don't want to change because I don't think you're going to change or you didn't do it for me. So why, why am I going to do it? Right. That that's the problem in most relationships. The problem isn't people don't want love. People don't want warmth. People don't want health. Everybody in every relationship wants those things. The problem is the ego says, well, they need to do it first. The problem is the ego says, I don't think they're really going to do it. Why don't you wait and see what they're going to do first. And then you do that. Well, maybe if they did this to you for long enough, then you can do that. Then it will be worth it, right? The ego always gets in front of the intended result. So our ego is a reality we deal with. The intended result is 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 our truest nature. I had a client that was going through marriage issues uh, with the with his with his wife and his kids and, and things of that nature. And, I, and I, the way he expresses uh, things is the most blunt, punch you in the face type of way you can express a thing. And I was trying to explain to him, like I explained to many clients, yes, that's your truth, right? You are keeping it real. We're going to put that here. We're going to keep it real. We can do that. But you realize you're not betraying yourself if you kept it real about your other reality. It says what reality? It says that you only say these things because what you really want 
is to feel more loved and appreciated. And the way that you that you that you get your ego fed is by standing up for them by hitting them overhead, blunt force trauma with some kind of truth that you've decided is more important. But does that get you to the reality of what you want in your relationship? But no. Does that lead to the love that you're hoping to have and the warmth that you have that you that you're hoping to have with your kids? No. So which truth are you going to stay loyal to? And when are you going to stop trying to hold on to that small win of saying it? I said it. You can. She couldn't believe when I said it. When are you going to stop holding on to those wins, those little those little yeah. wins, and sacrificing your desired result? Too often, couples do that. We have this great conversation, and then we watch each other. Mm. Who's going? And whoever goes first, and we score keep it. And so we don't offer our relationship what we even want to win because we're trying to win over our partners because we don't trust. And that becomes that that's based on a fear. Everybody wants this relationship. Help. We're just afraid that we're going to over leverage. We're afraid that we're going to look stupid. We're afraid that we're going to get taken advantage of. We don't trust our partners to be great. So we're not great. We don't trust ourselves uh, to be what we need to be for our partners. So we don't even try. Right. There's a lot of men say, oh, man, I'm afraid. And I don't know if I can be what you want me to be. Or I'm too you too good for me. We hear that from men all the time. You're too good for me. You know, they don't trust themselves in their own uh, conduct. So it's really about leverage. Uh, and that's the ego again. So the, the key to having a healthy relationship is to agree to put your ego down wrap it up, stuff it in a closet somewhere and stop worrying about how things look, the optics, who does it first, who wins or loses, yeah. focus on the result. What do you want from this relationship? That's how I tell them to start the conversation. What do you want? You want to be loved. You want, you want warmth. You want safety. You want security, right? You want cooperation. You want empowerment. Yeah. You want, you want me. What do I want? I want those same things in the inverse. So if that's what we both want, how do we get there together? without our pride and without our ego in a way, right? When you have that conversation and you start calling out ego where it exists, it's much easier to catch yourself and catch your partner and hold each other accountable to their actions. Yeah, yeah, totally get that. And I always say to my clients as well, would you rather be happy or right? Because- right. you're right, it's gonna be happy. Exactly, say you say that too, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, that can be, dropping down you know, dropping it down dropping down the control element of it can be a huge thing for people who are very used to mm -hmm. actually you know, being in control or wanting to win tit for tat scorekeeping right. um my way or no way that type of approach that sometimes people have and what i was really picking up there when you were speaking there kev was the whole of vulnerability piece mm -hmm. it was now when you are because i know that you can help couples get back on track too so mm -hmm. would you say that on the men's point of view, they are less willing to be vulnerable and to really show up as their true self to say, yes, it is love, it is appreciation. And what's, what is holding maybe men back from being so vulnerable? I think men have a difficulty, and this is this is probably very universal. It's becoming more universal. We talk about culture, right? So mm. the experience is more universal than it should be. And then the belief is being touted as an absolute. So there, there's some there's some levels here, but most of the time men have a problem with being that vulnerable because women have not been known, known, right? Culturally, women have not culturally been, and, and we all, you know, I was learning about how to deal with women as a child. I remember older guys coming up to me talking about, ah, oh, you want to get girls, You how, how many girls you want to get? 
treat him like crap. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Give me terrible advice. Adults just playing around. How many girlfriends you got? You know, we always ask that of young boys in elementary school, which is actually a terrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the culture already told me don't be vulnerable with women. And so when I come into my own uh, uh, young adult experience, I'm realizing that, wait, this vulnerability, girls really don't respond to this very well, you know, or, oh, wow, now I'm soft or now I'm a nice guy. Vulnerability mm. has been labeled and, um, and stigmatized uh, culturally. And so not only do men have to uh, fear the rejection and or the ostracism of other men yeah. uh, for being soft, but they also fear the loss of their woman respecting them and thinking they're, they're man or, or they're macho or they're manly or they're alpha, right? Because uh, there's a huge misconception about what mas- masculinity and what alpha, is. first mm-hmm. of all, alpha is a made up garbage concept, but masculinity is yeah. uh, the most misunderstood among women. Right, what women are just as women are just as misunderstood and uh, about uh, masculinity, and they usually seek out ego. Displays of ego look like masculinity. Yeah. So yeah. men learn that their vulnerabilities aren't aren't welcome. If a, uh, in fact, divorce rates almost show that. Divorce rates show when a man is is dealing with uh, financial issues or mental health issues that uh, those are the times and those are the irreconcilable differences women usually cite when they're divorcing men and women divorce men at, uh, at uh, you know, 75, 80% of the time. So when, you, mm. when you're looking at the statistics, none of it shows us that we're, we're okay being vulnerable with our emotions. And I think that that vulnerability, uh, it needs to be the first conversation somebody has around the issues in their relationship. And we need to figure out if we can ch- choose partners who are more willing to allow us to be vulnerable and give us that sit- sense of safety. But um, again, that is between that couple. And uh, I'm not sure people are having that deep of conversations when they're deciding to pick each other. You yeah. know, I, I chose my wife because I was allowed to be everything I was, right? Mm. I was allowed to be vulnerable if necessary. Now I don't sit in vulnerability often. <laughs> it's still a yeah. place I have on purpose, but I chose my wife because I could do that. A lot of guys are choosing butts and breasts and, mm. and then when they get I mean, who don't see uh, a man for much else than his macho, his machismo, his, his bravado, you know, what he can provide, what he can do, how safe she feels and how, how much he upgrades her status. He ultimately learns that that vulnerability is unwelcome. And then he goes and teaches because he's the guy that has all the women. He's the guy that, that is doing it. All the other guys listen to him. What you do? How do you do it? Don't be vulnerable. Don't say this. Don't be soft. And it's, it's culture. It's, it's self-perpetuating cycle. And I'm not sure how we get around it as a society, but each individual Again, we're talking about the individual experience. Each individual has the power to choose for themselves which behaviors and which gifts, relationship gifts that they have that they can uh, respond to in a partner. And so that's what you have to choose, relationship gifts. Yeah, that's really important. That communication mm-hmm. at an early stage was when you said, now, how deep are we having these conversations at an early stage I think people are saving these conversations a lot of the time to their inner relationship and then they're going into the depth of it but not necessarily during the dating stage right you're kind of having fun you might not want to ask those deep questions but do you find any reasons why people tend to struggle to communicate and and ask these questions at an early stage is there any fears yeah yeah. I think I think the guys who uh, among men Mm-hmm. Um, there's this idea that if I'm, if I talk too much or if I, if I'm too vulnerable, then obviously I'm the nice guy. She's going to go off with another guy who's strong and silent or, or as, as a jerk. Right. And that's, again, that's a cultural phenomenon. Um, and then for women, 
women are are too afraid to scare a guy off with their dick. Uh, man, I got I got mm. so many clients. I've had this conversation so many hundreds of times where I'm like, speak up for yourself. If that's where you want to, if that's where you want to go conversationally, if those are the experiences that you want to have uh, communicating your partner, start that. Well, I don't want him to think that, I, I, you know, I like him too much or I don't, I don't want to annoy him. I don't want to put mm. him off. So people are avoiding those conversations and that vulnerability in the beginning because everybody's looking to save face. Everybody's trying to figure out how to look the best, how to come off the best. They're trying to manage perceptions because perceptions are reality to a fool. They're trying to manage perceptions. Mm. And so they're not going deep. They're not letting people know what they really care about in a relationship. They're not they're not starting those conversations that lead to more deep understandings because they don't want to offend. They don't want to put off. They don't want to scare off and or they don't want to be too vulnerable before the other person is vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why so many people can have sex on the first date, but they can't talk about sex until they've been together for about four months. Yeah, I know I've had that conversation. You know, I know a lot of women have sex with a guy on the first date, or he have sex with a girl on the first date, and say, well, you know, what are your partner like? What, are they are they letting you know if you're having issues with this? Have you told them? Have you told them that you don't like this or that? Nobody, oh, I don't know how to, I don't want to talk about that. But wait a minute, you've had sex with this stranger on the first date, but you still can't talk about sex and you've been together for four months? Yeah. This is vulnerability. That feels vulnerable. They don't like to do it. So, you know, you start those conversations early, but again, it requires you to really trust your partner and most people don't trust exactly and trusting yourself isn't it mm -hmm. because you know a huge part of we don't trust our decisions we don't trust how we will handle for example a breakup let's say the relationship doesn't go in a direction or dating experience that you wanted to go to can we trust ourselves that we can handle it and that right. we can trust the process that another person will come if that person right. is not for you another person will come along for you but that right. huge self-trust piece I find needs to be worked on. You know, mm -hmm. what is it that led to you not necessarily trusting your decisions? It could be mm -hmm. past relationship patterns and experiences, but it's building up that trust within yourself. When right. you're coaching your clients, do you have any techniques that can encourage women, for example, to start trusting mm -hmm. themselves? Yeah, um, I, the first thing I, I do is, is I have them just, you know, it's a vulnerable conversation. But if we're not trying to save face for one minute, can you think of the things that you've done in your relationships that you shouldn't have done? Every moment that you regret it, what did you do? What did you accept? What did you say? Right. If you if you consider those moments, just those moments, you realize that half of the trauma that you've experienced were either things you did, caused or allowed. Right. Now, the other half was done to you. 100%. It's not all your fault. It's not about a victim blame, but it's about victim empowerment. You cannot empower the victim without pointing out their own uh, accountability. Now, what I what I do about trust is, you know, we, I say, now you've, you've looked at all these different things you shouldn't have accepted, you shouldn't have said, or you shouldn't allow it to be said to you, and then come back. Said So, yes, you don't trust people. You don't trust the next man that comes up and looks nice because he could be bad. But you don't trust him because he could be bad. You don't trust him because you don't trust yourself to leave if he becomes bad. Mm. You don't trust yourself to say no when he says yes. You don't trust yourself to stand on your boundaries and your principles that we were talking about. Mm, yeah. You don't have a trust issue with human, human other people. You don't have trust issues with men. You have trust issues with you. So yeah. what I'd like you to do is... Give yourself an opportunity to establish trust by disobeying your program, right? So I have them think about the things that, you know, they tell me about their normal behaviors when things are uh, happening in relationships. 
say, okay, let, let's just choose three of those things. The next time that happens, do the exact opposite thing. The thing that you would think a strong woman would do if you were her. Right. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking about, oh, I'm not that type of woman. I'm not strong like that. No, no, just pretend for a minute that you are. Yeah. Do that thing. See yourself get one win over the issues that you have with boundaries. See yourself keep one boundary. And that second boundary is so much easier to keep. And that third boundary is so much easier to keep. You start to impress yourself and you start to become that woman because you start to feel more like her because you've seen the results of these things. Now that becomes your identity. Strength becomes your identity. Empowerment becomes your identity, not weakness. But as long as you say, I'm this attachment style or Mm -hmm. I'm weak, I can do this. And then you say yes when you really mean no, right? Every time you do, you just reaffirm to yourself that you can't trust you. But as soon as you learn to say no one time and it feels good to you and you realize that the world's not over, you're not dead. You didn't die. Look at this. Let let me say no one more time and see what happens. Oh, wow. That feels really good. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can say no. Right. You learn to trust yourself, but you have to see it again. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Right. So you have to experience yourself acting on the knowledge. You can watch a thousand YouTube videos and many do mm-hmm. thousand uh, Instagram reels and many do thousand TikToks and many do. Yeah. But until you apply one time when it's uncomfortable, one time when it doesn't feel good, one time when you have fear and you feel the fear and you do it anyway, until you do that, you can't learn to trust anyone because you can't trust you because you take her until yeah. you stop you won't be able to trust anybody but that's not them that's you yeah that is some deep inner work for people to do and sometimes mm-hmm. people kind of they shy away from that work that depth of the work but it is that identity piece what you have said there understanding yeah. who you are that your true authentic self mm-hmm. and often when I work with my clients too I would say to them okay you know think about because if they've got some some baggage so to speak or relationship to other people I say okay look at four of their worst traits that yeah mm-hmm. then you recall when you have also done those same things mm-hmm. because often we're very quick to identify the faults in other people and right. mistakes but we also have made those but it's that awareness is that self-responsibility to understand what part you're bringing 50 percent might be the other person like you said the other 50 percent is that self-responsibility self-accountability mm-hmm. to say okay what part did I play there mm-hmm. so and I, I also not to cut you up but I also tell them that take out those situations how mm-hmm. traumatic is the relationship then well a lot less traumatic right? yeah these are things that this is the power that you have over your own human experience yeah. so get caught work yeah. on your own experience go ahead and that's your own experience and I think that's definitely where people can benefit and tap into is actually that individualized experience and putting aside also not talking about your relationship to 10,000 people as you would be getting advice from your friend over there your family member there even maybe a work colleague you're talking to every single person and getting their influence they have your best interest at heart they probably do however they are coming from their own map of the world their own mm. personal reality so I always right. say just be mindful about how much you share to other people and do that mm-hmm. in the work yourself also also not to cut you off but who you share with mm. because generally we share for feedback and if you're accepting everyone's feedback you're always going to be a little bit confused about where you stand and who you are yeah. everybody's not a, a valuable source of feedback 
I don't listen to everybody about everything. I know people I'll, I'll take money advice on because they do much better with money. I'll, I'll, there are people who you can take relationship advice on because they, they do much better in their relationships. Yeah. But that might not be the same individual. So that really smart aunt or uncle or cousin that you have mm-hmm. doesn't have it all together. Get the answers that you know they have and leave the rest to someone else who has figured it out. Too many podcasters have a microphone and video equipment. They don't have the answers to what they're talking about, but it's a good conversation. And so they're out here advising people. And if you don't know the source of information that you're that you're requesting it from, you could do a lot of damage to yourself and misguide yourself by going to the wrong teacher or the wrong opinion. You know, so completely hear that. And talking about authenticity and showing up as your real self, your identity work that you might be doing, I know that you have an offering where you will review people's dating profiles and their bios yes. to see whether there's anything going on there that is maybe attracting or even maybe repelling people coming mm-hmm. to them. What are some of the, just out of interest, you know, what are some of the things, the common patterns that you'll see in there um, in terms of what maybe mistakes women are making on their profile? Oh, uh, gorgeous question. Gorgeous question. Um, <laughs> the thing that I see a lot that women don't realize they're doing is they're muting their sexuality, right? So women of respect, uh, women who have high standards, who who are operating in that principle, you know, that's not their that's not their uh, Achilles heel, so to speak. Um, they often a little bit kind of overdo it. And so you'll go, you will see more than a wrist on their page. Right? You know, you won't see an ankle, you'll see might see a wrist. Uh, yeah. which is fine because a woman can be covered up and still be beautiful and attractive and sexy and all of those things. So yeah, that's not, that's not uh, my place to decide, but what we see is energetically in some of these pictures, uh, whether she's covered or not, mm-hmm. she looks like she can, she, she couldn't be bothered by a man. She doesn't need a man. Some, some women, uh, a lot of women look more like aunts and grandmothers in their energy, not in their face. They, they're beautiful women, but they look like yeah. aunts and grandmothers. I saw, just yesterday, I reviewed a profile of a woman who was an absolute 10. If we're using that stupid scale, yeah. 10, 10, 10. Mm-hmm. And was, she was uh, up in her 40s and approaching 50, still a 10. And, and mm-hmm. next to a 28-year-old, still a 10. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of, um, she was muted. Her, 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 she, her sexual energy was muted, yeah. right? So you need to be a sexual being in order for a man to lust after you. And a man is going to need a bit of lust yes. to want love from you because that's the prerequisite of a man is that physical chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. Physical attraction. So if you are attractive or if you're not attractive, you still have to be a sexual being. You cannot a- appear as a grandmother or an aunt or some great relative. You have to feel like a woman who wants a man. And uh, too often it looks like women can't be bothered. That's what I see uh, quite often is, is women who just appear that, They've already done that. When you look at their profile, it looks like maybe they have a husband because they're not really trying. Um, And not to say that they're not doing their hair or doing their makeup. It's energetic. You can you can see it. It's also awkward. As you can see, some people are awkward. They really haven't figured that sexy thing out. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, it's the presentation of self that just looks sexually muted and too conservative, ultra conservative. Uh, Makes a man feel like you already got a man or or you're too holy for a man. So. And it pushes a lot of guys away. And that's something that men don't even know how to articulate a lot of times. They just know, I don't know about her. And they just move on to another profile. Yeah. It's striking that balance then, isn't it, between what mm-hmm. is too much and what isn't enough in terms mm-hmm. of what you put across on your bio. What about mm-hmm. then some of the, the language that people are using as well, the words, the descriptions? Are you seeing some flaws there? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people either put all their boundaries in words because <laughs> they 
they want those boundaries to protect them yeah. because they trust themselves to keep the boundary. Right. Yeah. So you go to somebody's profile, say, I want a man who does this. He better not do this. And she, and she sounds like a woman who's to be taken seriously. But it's only because she fears that if those things aren't given to her once she likes a guy, that she's just going to continue. Yeah. Right? So I think and it turns off the wrong guys who's not who probably not even going to do those terrible things who just see, oh, wow, she might be damaged. I'm going to go this way because she might oh. be damaged. Right? Yeah. She's a little bit too worried about these negativity, these negativities, and it means she's experienced them. Um, and so sometimes you you broadcast and you and you telegraph your, your trauma when you get in that bio and try to check people before they've even done anything to you. I see that a lot. Um, I also see people who who do who are operating in way too much ambiguity. Uh, when a woman's pro- profile or beliefs or thoughts appear too ambiguous, she looks like a pushover. Um, she looks naive and men assume that uh, she can be done in any kind of way and she's not to be, again, taken seriously or respected. And again, in a, on that first interaction, if they try you and you you fail that test, again, and every man isn't giving tests, but the guys who you are avoiding are testing. They're, they're the ones that are like, oh, yeah, I've seen a profile. Let me look at you. The yeah. Users are definitely picking up on this stuff. And so I'm trying to help coach women away from some of these things that attract users and and repel men who are at the very least, because I don't know these men, Mm. but the very least are looking for a loving relationship and looking for a partner to commit to. Right. I can't tell you about, you know, whether or not a man's going to be insecure when it gets to you, but I can tell you the difference between a man who's looking for love, how he would approach your profile or how he would Mm. view this profile versus a man who's looking for a hole to stick it in. And most of the time women are either marketing to, uh, not non-sexual, asexual men, mm-hmm. or they're marketing toward men who uh, would be using them instead. So there's no balance, like you say. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's in depth. That's some in depth work. Because I think people are very used to just going up there and just maybe doing a, a cookie cutter bio, but might be mm-hmm. quite bland. Stating their boundaries quite a lot. You see, no drama. <laughs> Don't bring yeah. no drama. Oh. No drama. That 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 is also an indicator that you've been through some things or caused some things. So yeah, positivity only. And so right. again, I think it's one of those it's those trigger alerts, and you think, oh, okay. So what has gone on here? What baggage? What you know, patterns are you bringing into that? And it's striking right. that balance. It really is striking that balance, particularly as dating, um, yeah. online dating is so popular these days. Mm-hmm. Would you encourage people to maybe date differently? I mean, are there other ways that you can meet people other than dating apps? in this modern dating world? I think, I think online dating is, online dating is a challenge because your intelligent design is, is uh, taken out of the equation. So you're a human being. Um, we have a physical experience and a metaphysical experience, right? Uh, like you are a spirit with the body, not the other way around. So your, your, your higher self is as much choosing partners for you sometimes as you are energetically. Your nervous system is is responding to different energy fields around you. So when you go to a gas station and you meet a, you meet a person, he might be picking up a Mountain Dew. You're in there getting a bag of chips, and you see a man, and he looks at you. You can feel his energy, right? That's intelligent design. You don't get to do that looking at profile pictures. Not to say that online dating is wrong, but that's why that's why online dating is not as good as in person dating because of your intelligent design. Your spirit can't feel his spirit and be like, I don't know about that. There's darkness there. You you don't have that ability. When a guy speaks to you and you feel his voice vibrate and you watch the people in the room respond to his energy, the way he walks, 
the way he holds him, he, he carries himself, yeah. the way he handles you or doesn't touch you or touches you as he yeah. walks past you. You have so many, you have probably a thousand different cues that your body's picking up that decides he's the one or he's not the one. So it's easier to date in person because we immediately know that somebody's attracted to it. We can see their attraction, right? We, we have all this deeper intelligence, this intelligent design that we have. So yes, dating in person is always going to be the best because God gave us enough things to choose a partner based on our survival needs that we will never have enough information. But online is, is, online is not as terrible as people make it. It's just not. The difference is the mindset. When you date online, you have to have a mindset that People are picking profile pictures. They're not picking human beings. There's no intelligent design. If mm -hmm. my profile is not as good as the next profile picture, they're going to choose the next profile picture. It might not have been my best angle. It might not have been the angle yeah. they prefer. Right? They're literally choosing pictures. So they're not rejecting me. Too often I have clients who are feeling personally rejected and personally worthless mm -hmm. because they're not getting the attention or because they don't show up well online. First of all, they didn't get a profile eval and they, they probably are doing a lot of different things wrong. Mm -hmm. Second of all, many aren't necessarily presenting themselves well because they don't want to put too much effort in. But that lack of effort sometimes is more obvious than we like it to be. And that, and that if I'm looking at your profile and I see a lack of effort, I'm assuming that you just you just like that in real life. You yeah. just give them real life. So mm -hmm. that's a problem. So online dating can be uh, very confusing, but it can be good. And I met my wife online on MySpace back when my space was popping. <laughs> um, and so, and I was online. Me and people think, oh man, Kev Hicks is a great catch. Well, I was online one time. And yeah. at one point, women were ignoring my DMs because I was another guy online. And so yeah. I can tell you that if, I always tell my clients, if you exist, then guess what? Your equal and opposite exists as well. They're mm -hmm. online as well, frustrated as well. But your mindset has to be different. When you date online, you cannot take it personally. They're not rejecting you, the human being. They're rejecting the profile picture or the profile bio or yeah. the D conversation that you're having. So you have to you have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to also be willing to date 10 times the people, right? A hundred DMs, conversations with a hundred different people as opposed to if you were dating in person, you might meet 10 guys that year and end up dating one. You might meet a hundred people in the DM or DM or start a hundred DM conversations and, and fall in the like with about 10 of them. And then from that 10, you date those 10 and maybe one works out. And yeah, it's been a busy year, you dated and it didn't work out. But did you really date? Most of those don't even get out of the DM. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mind game that you have to play with yourself to keep your perspective a positive one. Yeah. And also you have to realize it's a numbers game. There's no intelligent design, which means people are bumping into each other randomly like bumper car. There's yeah. nothing causing you to bump into a normal or a more important person. It's like meeting somebody on the elevator. You're not a distraught when you get off the elevator and you say, oh, my God, we didn't become best friends. Oh, man, that guy didn't propose to me on the elevator because he didn't know you. You didn't know them. Right. Yeah. So when you're online, it's just like the random elevator people that you meet. Yeah. Stop being so hurt by random people. <laughs> not value, uh, value qualities in you when they don't know who you are and they're not even judging who you are. They're judging your profile picture as opposed to someone else's. Right. So, yeah, it just feels like you're part of a huge catalog just flicking yeah. through. Just like speaking through, and that can be quite a, a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're not chosen. But it, but it's worse for men because men swipe fifty, uh, forty-two to fifty percent of the people, uh, women that they see on profile. They literally swipe attracted to forty-two to fifty percent. Women swipe attracted to three to five percent. So when men are actually eating that uh, as a catalog, women are swiping a whole lot more through the catalog than yeah. men are. <laughs> 
Well, that's really good to know. And as you said, taking that conversation to in-person, because you pick up mm-hmm. on all of those cues quite quickly, because mm-hmm. depending on what you subscribe to, so that only 7% of the way that we communicate is through the words that we use. Like 55% is through our body language, our gestures, our physiology, what we mm-hmm. do there. And 38% is through our voice tonality and the way mm-hmm. in which we say things. And you can pick up on all of those cues and follow your intuition probably more powerfully when you mm. are actually meeting people in person. Right, you have none of that online. It's just yeah. profile picture. Yeah, mm. exactly. I absolutely love that. Kev, I would also love to know a bit more, because you've spoken about dating and relationships, what your personal definition of love is. What does that mean to you? I think um, I think for me, it's about duty. and I, I think men in general have a different definition of what, what a relationship is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, again, not to be early rolling, but uh, so I was <laughs> doing something today and somebody uh, gave the quote, uh, was talking about the Bible and they were like, uh, the Bible uh, uh, assigns a man or, or tells a man to love his wife and the, the it also tells a woman to respect her husband, right? So love is the assignment of a man and respect is the assignment of yes. a woman. And uh, to be quite honest, men, ultimately, we have a sense of duty. So when a man feels a sense of duty, he's loyal to his duty, right? That's how these women come across these amazing guys. When you look at the most amazing guys you've known in relationships, how, how strongly do they take the duty of husband, father, right? The duty is what they're, what they're attached to, right? Their purpose. And that's why uh, women who have uh, everything figured out often have a, a tough time finding a guy because he doesn't look into her life and see any place for his duty. He is, she has no need for him. He has no, he's nothing to anchor on. So when you talk about, you know, love and what it means uh, for men, it ultimately means duty. Um, and for women, it, it generally means the same, right? Uh, but to respect the duty of that man and, and, and his duty in your life, women who don't have a place for a man ultimately have a lot of uh, unsatisfactory relationships because again, duty, it, it, there's no duty for him. He's just there. Right. So I think as much as men recognize duty as important because it is our value, men are learned, men are taught that their, their worth and their value to the world is what they can produce. So it's embedded in us to, to attach ourselves to duty. It's a little bit less embedded to women to attach themselves to duty, but it can be. I think that if we both in the, at the very, very basic at the very bottom of this, this uh, jar, just attached ourselves to the duty of being there and staying and figuring it out and serving our partner, we we wouldn't have to worry about, you know, love or health. We would just have those things and we can move yeah. on to other, attach, attack the other problems of life because uh, no one has a sense of duty. Everyone, if you look at the culture right now, everyone has a sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I'm on this level. You're on that level. I'm high value. I deserve, and it's, and it's all materialism and, and, and benefit. There's no duty. No two people have a duty to each other. They just they just stand to benefit. And so they're looking at what the benefit of the relationship is. And nobody gives a crap about the duty. If we get back to duty. When we talk about how my great grandma stayed with my granddad, you know how mm, people start. Obligation. <laughs> 19 kids and she stayed. It's duty. Mm. Now, that's not healthy, obviously. All duty is not healthy. There's no balance there. But that was a different time where it was, it was, too, it was, it was rough out here for women during that time. Mm. But there needs to be some duty and there needs to be some balance. Now, if you can uh, if you can apply some balance to duty mm-hmm. and affection, I think you have a very healthy love and relationship. 
But if you have no affinity for duty and it's just about benefit, then you have what we have now in dating culture, which is a bunch of people rating each other from one to 10 and trying to figure out who who's the most high value of them all. Gosh, it is. It's like a, a score game, isn't it? It's you know, mm -hmm. who's going to win, who's going to be seen better than the other people's. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's highly competitive. Yeah. I would say this dating and the dating culture out there can be highly, but I love that sense of duty and affection. Mm -hmm. Kev, absolutely amazing. I am going to ask you, what would be one of the key messages that you would love to leave the listeners with today to help them along their journey of love, life and relationships? Just stand on your principles. And if you don't know what your principles are, brainstorm, sit down, get a notebook paper, write down the things that you believe in or the things that feel good to you. Uh, figure out what you stand for or what you hope to stand for. Even if you haven't stood for them before, you can, you, you're under no obligation to be the same level of weak, the same level of uh, indifferent, the same level of responsible, or the same level of inaccountable that you were yesterday. You can change every day. You get a, a, chan a chance and a choice. So if you don't know what you stand for, figure that out, sit down, write some things down, brainstorm, learn about what your new boundaries and your new principles are, mm -hmm. and then only respond to men who operate within that so that you don't have to betray yourself anymore. And once you stop betraying yourself and get your own boundaries and principles intact, you won't have to worry about trusting anybody. You can trust yourself. And the people who trust themselves have wonderful relationships. And if they don't, they leave. So they don't incur all the trauma and all the damage. Yeah. That's such a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Kev. No oh, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. And I know that the listeners would have benefited so much from all that you have shared, all of that wisdom. So thank you so much. If they would like to contact you, follow you, how can they find you and reach out to you? And they can find me at Kev Hick on YouTube, K-E-V space H-I-C-K. Or if they want coaching, they can go to girltalkwithguys.com girltalkwithguys.com spell correctly no funny <laughs> spell uh, and um, they can look at my schedule and book a call or get some email advice or get a profile evaluation absolutely kev thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute honor and pleasure speaking to you and for everybody who has tuned into today's episode i want to thank you for your time attention and your energy and until the next episode take great care of yourself and others too Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, make sure to check out the show notes in the description with all the important links and how to connect with and follow Teresha directly. If you are motivated and encouraged after listening to this, please follow and subscribe to this podcast. Hey, and whilst you're there, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and add a review. We would love to hear what aha moments there were for you. And you know that saying, sharing is caring. So tell your family and friends about this podcast too. So until next time, take great care of yourself and others too.